Hello and welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online 24-7 here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. You go there, that is our, that's our homepage on our website, and there are two links. The first one uh, gives you this show and a, a number of others, I think, I think somewhere around 50 or more of the most recent shows we've done in date order, reverse date order, uh, as a standard uh, podcast. You know, you click on it, you, you play it, you, you listen in from the beginning. Or you can move the cursor around, you know, the timeline around. But the second link is something that we call a, um, a radio loop. And it is, well, what does that say? Class? Anyone, please, uh, let me see. A sh what does that sound like? Yes, yes. Uh, it, it sounds like a radio show playing in a loop. Thank you very much. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Uh, we have a separate computer here uh, in the studio that runs that show. Uh, it goes directly out uh, to the modem uh, that we have here. That modem, in turn, connects somehow, some way to a server, God knows where. And that server connects to every other or gives access to every other Internet-enabled device on the planet and beyond, presumably, uh, to pick up a center-left radio show that's running in that loop. You pick it up at whatever point the show happens to be in the loop. When you turn it on, it has an analog kind of feel to it. No, it's not analog. Too much digital stuff going on there to try to claim that it is. But it, it's about as close as you're going to come to feeling analog-ish in a digital environment. And we find a lot of people prefer to uh, listen to the show that way. So it's there, and it's for you to enjoy any way you want to. And however you're listening, we're pleased that you've joined us today, the 10th of January, uh, in the new year, 2023. Uh, strange kind of, uh, well, strange, yeah, our, uh, the la the, our last show, we... By the last time uh, I joined you, we hadn't gotten the final word on where the House of Representatives was going to be. We, I guess the one thing that was definite was that it was going to be a Republican speaker, but we did not know that it would take 15 votes. We did not know the chaos that would ensue. We did not know how much Kevin McCarthy would give away to the, uh, to the uh, most radical components, the most radical caucus within the Republican group. We, we just didn't know that uh, this particular Congress, uh, this, in the House, this, this House two-year session, uh, would be starting off as the most self-crippled session probably in modern history. It begins with a, uh, I gather they passed the rules package last night, which basically uh, cements all that crippling into place, including the capacity of any Republican member 
of the House to raise an objection, to call for the, to vacate the chair, I believe is the term used historically, at which point a vote would be called, and if a majority of the House wanted the chair vacated, which is to say wanted the speaker to get the hell out of there, uh, Kevin McCarthy would be out of a job instantly. I, th I think that's what happened to John Boehner, if I'm not mistaken. I think they, they had that rule. That rule was done away with uh, under the Pelosi tenure, uh, but uh, the most recent Pelosi tenure, not her, I, I don't know if it was there during her first. It certainly wasn't utilized, and it certainly wasn't thought of or utilized during the second, uh, uh, her second stay, her highly successful second stay, I would add. But uh, it's back in there right now. And, and what's the first piece of legislation that the new Republican-led uh, uh, Congress is going to be looking at to pass any way they can, as quickly as they can? Take a, take a wild guess. Actually, I, I think it would have to be more than a wild guess. This is not one that, that would automatically come to mind. Uh, they're going to defund or re-defund re the Internal Revenue Service. Now, you, you may have heard that the, uh, the, in the course of the Trump administration, the Internal Revenue Service was, was for all intents and purposes, decimated. And, and, and the type of decimation done uh, was designed, it seems to have had a, a somewhat conscious kind of uh, uh, pinpointing of, it wasn't just, just cut the money away, it was where the money was cut. The, the primary defunding of the IRS had to do with those areas that were charged with doing the big, nasty, messy audits of big, large, sprawling corporations. In other words, big, huge tax owners, tax, tax, uh, taxpayers, like, oh, I don't know, Trump, Donald Trump, for example. Um, he basically, uh, you know, it winds up that he was not audited uh, as a presidential candidate when he said he was. He lied about being audited. He lied about audits being the reason why he couldn't release his taxes, and the IRS did not fulfill its own mandate to audit uh, a president uh, on an annual basis, uh, much less uh, uh, did, did Trump, uh, was Trump prevented from releasing taxes because of IRS activity. In essence, the IRS uh, basically was, was so cut back that the normal group of people within the IRS that would be charged with doing these audits of large taxpayers, large corporations, this sort of thing, was basically made uh, irrelevant or, 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 or hobbled significantly. And statistically, it winds up that the IRS in the Trump years, and un until recently, uh, has been doing about four to one audits of little guys as opposed to big guys, you know, which just doesn't seem right. But in any event, 
um, the Biden administration uh, chose to refund the IRS, and the way it was the way it was uh, portrayed by the Republicans was that well, you're adding more uh, agents to the Internal Revenue Service, when the reality was is that they were simply beefing up or re restaffing the organization so that it had uh, essentially an administrative capability. You, you had people in the back offices able to support whatever was going on in the audit area of the organization. Republicans portrayed it as putting more agents out there. Now, that really, in reality, that doesn't have a whole lot of an impact one way or the other on smaller, on smaller taxpayers. The ratio has been four to one. The reality is that everybody, whereas the large taxpayers have basically largely skated by with no, uh, no coverage, no, no, nothing like previous audit levels. Yeah, there's been a reduction in the amount of audits done to small people, too. That, that's simply a fact. And if we're supposed to be paying taxes, and people are supposed to be paying their fair share, and especially if people who earn more should be paying more, well, you, 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 don't, you don't enforce that. You don't make that a way of funding the government by basically destroying one of the primary uh, organizations or organs for collecting money. As much as no one likes the idea of an IRS audit, no one likes the IRS getting in their nose or in their face, but it, it's the way we collect most of our money uh, on the back end over here. We pay taxes, and then we uh, basically uh, review what people have done because, you know, most of us, most Americans uh, have a tendency to uh, do less than perfect tax returns. It's simply a fact. But the symbolism of making the defunding of the IRS the first thing on a Republican agenda, to, to me, is just dumb, because it's just, it, it's, there's no reason for it. It's a purely ideal, it, not even ideological, because it's, 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 not, it's, it's not going to help little guys, really. <laughs> it's going to help big guys. And if that's what the Republican Party wants to basically show the world, that it can let the big guys skate, and this would seem to be a pure Trumpian-sponsored sort of thing, Donald will do... I mean, I don't know how you escape the notion of, Donald, we're doing this for you. But if, if that's what you want to do, if that's how you want to kick off your Congress... If that's, if that's the image you want to put out there to everybody, well, <laughs> okay. I, 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 far be it from me to tell you how to basically look bad or how to basically diminish or demean the seriousness of this Congress, certainly from a Republican perspective. And as, by the way, as a practical matter, this will be symbolic. 
the money will stay. This would have to go back to the Senate, and there would have to be a compromise, and it would have to be re-legislated. So, so, so any, anyone you know, feeling bad about what might happen at the IRS tomorrow morning or IRS ages should not. The odds of this actually becoming... Uh, what or the the be, be, becoming the refunding uh, mechanism for the IRS are slim. I wouldn't say slim to nil, but they're slim. They're quite slim, as as will be the case for virtually all angry legislation or or completely biased legislation that the Republican Congress may take. Up and, and may attempt to pass along largely party lines simply because most of it will be anti-something, knock something down, break something down, call somebody uh, uh, woke, or, or, or it, it will be culture warish. It'll be just dumb. It'll be the stuff of fundraising for the various members, but it will not be the stuff of helping or working with the American people for the purpose of making their lives better, which is what essentially you're supposed to be doing when you're a member of the United States Congress. It's You're not there basically to fundraise for yourself based on uh, culture war issues that come before the Congress that can you can jump up and down about and stuff like that. And and, and, a, and a great one, a great one apparently showed up yesterday again. Uh, you've probably heard this story by now that in no, back in November of last year, of 22, uh, a, now, now what is the, loca it, it is a think tank location on Penn State University, is this is Penn, Penn Biden uh, think tanker. I, I, I still don't have all the details on this, and I will at some point. But apparently, from back in the time when Joe Biden was vice president, apparently when they were setting up this think tank, and this, this went on after the Obama-Biden administration, when Trump then came in. This would have been back in 20, so 2016, I guess, or 2017, early 2017, we're talking six years ago, uh, there was uh, some, some classified documentation somehow found its way in there. And it was in the process of the think tank being set up. There's no indication that Joe Biden physically uh, brought this material with him or that he specifically, uh, it, it had to come, it had to be stuff that <coughs> he had access to. It was classified and it was at the think tank and it's been sitting there for some time. Well, what happens is back in November, there, they were in the process, this, this, this think tank was dissolving itself. It was being put out to pasture. And as it was being, as it was, cal, you know, as it was cataloging all the documentation that was in there and basically shutting itself down, they discovered, the people doing this process discovered, I think A, one or two documents that were classified documents. They instantaneously, the story is, 
contacted the Justice Department, contacted the National Archives, and basically said, look, we have this stuff. We didn't know we had it. We want you to have it. Here, take it. Come be a part of it. If you have any questions, we're completely wide open to this. Please take this stuff out. It was there in error. The stuff shouldn't have been there. And a totally open, cooperative effort was made to give the stuff back. Period. That's, that's as much as we know. Well, of course, Donald Trump now is jumping up and down saying, oh, yeah, well, this is no different than Mar-a-Lago. And when are they going to start raiding the White House and start raiding Donald uh, Biden's offices all over and his houses all over the web? There would appear, there would appear to be no, no real analogy. The only thing common here is that there were classified documents. The way they're handled, the what, how they got to where they were, what happened once they were discovered, what the cooperation level was with the National Archives, the involvement of the Justice Department, under what circumstances of cooperation could not be more different, certainly based on what we know right now. But, undoubtedly, Undoubtedly, Donald will try to make hay about this. The question is, will the rest of the Republicans begin jumping on another Donald bandwagon in hell? Or certainly on its way to hell? Or certainly one that can so easily be differentiated from what is happening in Mar-a-Lago? In fact, might actually, by simply, by, by simply the virtue of the differences between what's happening there uh, with, the, with the Biden think tank and Mar-a-Lago, just further amplify the reality of what it is that Trump did so illicitly with the documentation in Mar-a-Lago, the complete stonewalling of the authorities, the lying, the, mis the replacing of stuff, the moving it around. It, it, it will only serve as a foil for all of that. So will the Republicans jump on board with this one? Well, it's, I, I, why not? That, that's the simple answer. Anything is good if you can basically shout and jump up and down and say unfair, even if there's no point of valid comparison between the two sets of circumstances. doesn't matter. It's something that you can jump up and down on. It's something that can be siloed. It's something that can be lied about. It's something that can be misconstrued. And the Republican, the Republican base will basically eat it whole, pass it out, re eat it, and it'll go on and on and on, and just be added to the overall list of stupidity that becomes the diet that these people are fed regularly because they really don't know any other menu to look at and have no idea that there are any other restaurants in town. But let's, let's see how that one plays out. Far more interesting, far more interesting to me at least anyway, uh, is what happened yesterday in the great state of Georgia. You may have heard of a, uh, a local Fulton County district attorney, prosecutor, by the name, elected, elected, this is, you know, like everywhere else in the country, DAs are elected. 
the district attorney. But this is in Fulton County, and, and most of Atlanta is in Fulton County, just to sort of you know, physically place this. Her name is uh, Fannie Willis. And Fannie Willis, her office, uh, basically looked at what the, the, the second of Donald Trump's so-called, it was a per, his perfect phone calls. The first perfect phone call, as he described it, was the one to Vladimir Zelensky basically uh, bribing uh, or basically threatening not to give him the money that he needed for defensive weapons while Russia was amassing troops on his border uh, until and unless and until he began basically uh, reviewing uh, anything uh, against Trump's then rival uh, for the 2020 election, uh, Joe Biden, uh, and, 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 and unless and until Trump basically was going to withhold money that had already been authorized by Congress. That, of course, is blatantly illegal on its face, and it got Trump impeached. His, his first impeachment, obviously. The second one was far more fascinating, uh, the entire uh, January 6th situation. We're not going there today, except maybe, and I'll do this briefly because I want to stay with the Fulton County story, but except maybe to say that a, a wannabe version of January 6th just took place in uh, Brasilia, uh, the capital of Brazil. P people have to understand something about Brasilia. Uh, and, and this is before I get into Bolsonaro and, and, his, and his similarities and his uh, wannabe-isms uh, relative to wanting to be the Brazilian Trump and, 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 and his whole uh, extremism and everything else. He, of course, lost the last election. Lula, uh, the former president, was re-elected back in, came in, uh, has been nominated. Uh, Bolsonaro has been running around yelling and screaming and yelling and screaming, fraud, fix, 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 fraud, fraud. Everything you would expect a good Republican to do, but in this case it's Bolsonaro, and his people are all yelling and screaming the same thing. Finally, they go ahead and they pull the equivalent of a, de of a January 6th to... Significant differences, which in my mind make this a wannabe January 6th as opposed to anything, well, hear me out. Brasilia is located in the worst possible place for a capital of any country I can imagine. They literally, the Brazilians seem to have a really sad penchant for knocking down the Amazon jung jungle. And what they did was they went in the middle of the jungle in a really inaccessible area. They knocked down tons and tons of jungle and, in, and created a new national capital. This was only in the last, I don't know, 40 years? How, how long has it been since Brazilia? Ch somebody check this up, please, if you would. And, and it, 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 it hasn't been long. This is, not, this is not, Brasilia is not a place that was there from the founding of the country. Well, to get, to just get there is painfully difficult. And, and, and more than getting there, having to get through jungle, driving through roads, inaccessible is putting it mildly. 
once you're in Brazilian, I remember this so clearly, hearing about this and watching, watching film on this as it was being done and hearing this being discussed. The entire town is designed for traffic, for, for road traffic, for automobiles and buses and trucks and all of that. There is virtually nothing that is easily and accessibly uh, traversed by foot from one main area of the capital to another. You have to drive. It's, it is dri it's designed for driving. So not only is it inaccessible in terms of location within Brazil, but once you get there, you can't take a stroll through the place. You can't really walk around and take in the sights. Everything is so spread out and everything is so dis 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 organized well maybe not disorganized maybe maybe it might be organized from a purely aesthetic perspective but it's lousy if you're trying to get from one office of government to another by foot it just doesn't work so if you wanted to have a january 6th now for the brazilians a january 8th First of all, you got to get a lot of people there, and it's not like you can't see them coming. There's going to be all kinds of obvious activity for people to get there. And once you're there, you're going to have to kind of show up and be in one place. It's not like you can kind of go around and see the side. You, you are, if you want to do something bad en masse, you're going to have to telegraph it very, very obviously to the authorities that there's a whole bunch of people coming and they're coming to this specific place and they're going to the main capital office or they're going to the main presidential palace. That's the other thing that's there, much like the White House, much like, uh, much like the Capitol building. Yeah, the equivalent institutions there. People will know you're coming. Now, let, let, let's keep the January 6th slash January 8th thing going for a moment. If you were going to do something like January 6th, if that's what your January 8th, if, if, if Bolsonaro was organizing that, you would basically do something that uh, you would attempt to disrupt some activity of the government that was involved in finalizing your uh, opponent's victory. Okay, if you really wanted to, if you really wanted to make this count as a as a January sixth-ish event you would do something to basically either defy the Constitution or, or destroy some, some function of government or basically do something that would uh, really disrupt Lula's government, make things stop working in some way. Which would mean that the last time that you would think to do something like this would be on a Sunday when Lula was not in Brasilia and nothing was going on. The Congress was not in session. The government was not in activity. Nothing was going on. 
You got to understand, people don't hang around in Brasilia if you don't have to, because there ain't nothing there. And to get from point A to point B, you got to drive all kinds of distance. You don't stroll around. It isn't a, there's no cherry blossom festival, thank you, equivalent there. So the place is virtually empty of any kind of governmental activity. And these people show up, and I'm still not sure how many, because, of course, when you start seeing all of the footage, you realize that, well, you're seeing the same footage over and over. Now, there's one scene that I've seen of police standing on Capitol steps or something, and a crowd seems, in the background, it seems like a very large crowd, but I still don't know the numbers. I don't know how many people showed up there. How many people made it through the jungle to get to Brasilia to basically break some glass in some buildings on a Sunday when no one was there and no activity of government was taking place? And to my knowledge, there was nothing that could be done that would have even symbolically changed the outcome of the election. It sounds to me, looks to me, as though it was a bunch of pissed-off people who basically had been revved into a frenzy to somehow get on buses, find themselves in Brasilia, and go ahead and do some mischief. Bust a few windows, just symbolically uh, basically do something uh, to make Bolsonaro feel good and make Lula feel bad. But the practical effect on the, the mechanisms or the machinations of government? No. The practical effect was that someone has to repair glass and fix up a few interiors where a bunch of jerks basically went in and started messing up the national capital, the one that's in the middle of the jungle. Now, where's Bolsonaro, where all this is... Well, well if, if, it, if we're following the January 6th analogy, he should be uh, nearby. If we're following January 6th, he would have still been in power. No, he was, he was out of power. Nowhere near it. In fact, he was so far nowhere near it that he was actually in Florida. Yeah, Bolsonaro was in Florida while all this has happened. And every indication that we have, although I must say that I have not heard the specifics of this, this is going to be, again, this is something that Bolsonaro, I, clearly playing for the long haul, <coughs> wanting his people to know and believe that he's willing to fight, that I'm a fighter, that I'm going to... It, it was meaningless, but it basically showed that he was willing to tear down the government of the country in order to basically show what a great fighter he was, how bad a loser I am, how willing I am to basically knock down uh, the, the, the structure of my own country, how much like Donald I truly am at heart. I'd like to believe that I have the same kind of money too. I don't know, uh, not, not that Donald really has that much. We're still, people are going through his tax records and everything, a claim that there really isn't anywhere near as much as he claims and most of what he has is leveraged anyway and it's all bleeding money like crazy. He makes most of his, Donald makes most of his money these days grifting, grifting, uh, uh, you know, sort of naive Republicans who will pay any kind of money to watch a Donald show. That, be that as it may. Uh, Bolsonaro is, is in an odd position right now. 
because, um, of course, his, his, <laughs> his return to Brazil is being demanded by the Lula government. It's obvious that he was behind this entire process. And if I'm America, if I'm the Biden administration, if I've, certainly if I'm in the U.S. Justice Department, I don't want this son of a bitch sitting there in Florida using America as a safe haven while he goes ahead and basically orchestrates, for all intents and purposes, we have to assume this. I mean, you could claim that, well, you know, he, well, I, I didn't orchestrate nothing. I did bad. Look at that. I mean, no one, nothing was in session. I, I was there. The people just missed me so much. They just all got together and decided to go into the jungle in Brasilia, a million miles from anywhere, in order to basically protest. Please, you know, so... I think, I think, if, if, if Mr. Bolsonaro does not basically stamp his own ticket back to, uh, back to uh, Brasilia, or wherever, I mean, Sao Paulo, Rio, wherever he'd be going in Brazil, wherever he will be met uh, as he arrives, uh, or maybe he's daring... Maybe he wants to dare the current government, the Lula government, to arrest him. You know, keep in mind, keep in mind, in my lifetime, in fact, the first time I, the first time I visited Brazil, this would have been back in the 80s, it was under a military junta, okay? Brazil had been a military, under a military dictatorship for something like 20 years, so that Brazilians, in fact, the ones who were jumping up and down, yelling and screaming, Bolsonaro, his style, his concept of governance is not so different from what they experienced then. It was absolutism. People disappeared. There was no civil rights to speak of. You basically did not want to run afoul of the government. And by the way, the economy was in shambles as well for most of that time. Inflation was insane. People had all kinds of accounts and all kinds of mechanisms because what would happen is that the Cruzeiro at that time would devalue at, at, at something like a hundred percent a day or something like that. I can remember using dollars to go to restaurants uh, in, 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 uh, in, in, in both Rio and in Fortaleza and going into some of the best restaurants in the country and basically paying like $10 or, or $8 for the, probably the best meal you could possibly imagine having with wine. That's how things were in those days. Bolsonaro apparently uh, it seems to be nostalgic for that and is able to convince some idiots to feel the same as him. He will basically, uh, I have no doubt, uh, find himself back in Brazil shortly and we'll see how that plays out. But, but leave no doubt in your mind about this. This is a copycat, copycat, January 6th event. What is now January 8th for Brazilians was nothing but a dumbass effort to look like I am Donald and I can basically make the Brazilian people do what I want them to do and bust up a few buildings and, and make a mess of things because I am Donald too, or something like that. This seems to be what Bolsonaro has in mind. He and Donald Trump are buddies. I don't know, maybe he hangs out down in Mar-a-Lago while he's in Florida. I gather he's not living too far away from there. But he'll be going back. And how that plays out, well, 
time will tell. But you, you, you realize that uh, essentially this was an aside that I wanted to throw in before getting back to the story about what is happening in Fulton County, Georgia right now. And, and, and to be honest with you, uh, before we get into Fulton County and Fannie Willis and everything going on down there, um, this would be a good time, a very good time. In, 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 in celebration of the new year, I think we're going to kind of put a little bit of a pause here, kick back, think about all the joys of a January 8th as, a, uh, as the new Brazilian holiday so poorly replicated by another disgruntled, uh, emotionally stunted, fearful ex-ruler. Uh, and maybe we could do all that with a little jazz. Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. 
and we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial progressive programming, and we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can. On a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, Thank you. You're listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz, and you're listening to us on the web at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. Fanny Willis. Um, just, just listening to the name, Fanny Willis. Uh, I've always heard, I I think of Fanny as an old-fashioned name, Uh, Willis is is an all-American name. I I don't know that there's any particular image that comes to mind of of who or what Fanny Willis should look like or be or how she, she should perform. Is she an historical character? Is she a current character? Let me, let me, let me tell you who Fanny Willis is. She's a, a 51-year-old attorney. Uh, Emory, I, I think Emory and Howard University, famous black university educated, um, became, becomes the elected district attorney of Fulton County in Georgia. Uh, and that is, uh, again, a black woman being elected to district attorney uh, anywhere in the state of Georgia is a big deal. We have, of course, Letitia James, who was the state attorney general uh, for uh, New York State. Big deal. Uh, but we have uh, Fanny Willis, who is the uh, DA of Fulton County, Georgia. And Miss Willis became, could not help but be, very much aware of a phone call made by Donald Trump to Brad Raffensperger. Brad Raffensperger was and has been reelected as Secretary of State of the state of Georgia, meaning in, in, in Georgian uh, politics or, or in the structure of Georgian law, of, of Georgia's law, he is the guy who has responsibility to see that all election, among many other things, he has the responsibility to see that elections are fairly carried out, that the results are in essence uh, memorialized correctly, and that then what happens afterwards is, is in line with 
the will of the people as, as verified by the office of the Secretary of State, and we move on from there, and to make sure that elections are all done fairly as well, not just the results, but the process itself. And he received a phone call, Mr. Raffensperger received a phone call from Donald Trump, another of what Donald referred to as his perfect phone calls, and we've, you've listened to it, you've listened to all of it, you've listened to bits of it. It's been going on, this is, this is after the election, after last, uh, the election of 2020, uh, before, the, uh, before the final vote, before January 6th, certainly. And uh, he is on the phone telling Mr. Raffensperger, I want you to find me 11,780 votes. I want you to find me. You, you, you have to know, I mean, you know, you know we won the state. So just, just find me 11,780 votes, because that's one more than I need to, to, to win the state of Georgia. And, and, I, and I want you to simply, you just, you know, you can, you, can, you can recount them. You could find them on a recount. There's no problem there. I, and I won. I, I won by a, by a multiple of that. So, so this is what... This is what this phone call is to Brad Raffensperger. And in the space of the phone call, uh, Trump also adds, you know, you know, uh, Brad, um, th 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 this, is, this is very serious stuff here. I mean, there could, there could be a lot of trouble. Uh, you could be in a lot of trouble if, if, if you can't, because, you know, we won. We won. And if you can't find these votes, you and, you know, and, you, you and your family, this, this could be a real problem for you. That's what... Donald says on this phone call. It's, it's a classic mafia shakedown. I mean, you couldn't have a more classic situation. And strangely, the one thing that Donald has, has uh, repeatedly attempted to say and I don't know that he's actually come on air and said it, I'm sure he said it in some deposition somewhere, but he seems to try to be saying that he really, honest to God, believes he won. That, that despite all of the cases that have been won and th that have been brought and lost, despite all of the affirmations of Raffensperger, despite every bit of evidence, solid, solid, solid evidence to the contrary, somehow, some way, Trump finds a way to say, I won. And, and, and this would appear to be the, 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 the linchpin of a claim on his part, I assume, of really not, this was not an intentional fraud. I, I basically believe that I won. And in fact, I believe it so much then, I believe it more now because I'm still running around the country or on my truth social network, I'm telling people that I won. Now, there's no rational way you could, the only way you can say I won and not have a total question of, of, um, of intention brought out would be if you are psychologically damaged. You would have to simultaneously declare psychological impairment to be able to say I won. This may be the strategy he's going for. 
And but it's also the typical Trump thing where you lie. It's the it's the it's the Goebbels thing again. It's the Joseph Goebbels thing, the big lie. You lie and lie and lie and lie and lie and lie about the same thing, even if the opposite is staring the whole world in the face. You, from a position of power, from a position of bully pulpiting, go ahead and lie and lie and lie and lie. And it will ultimately be consumed and internalized by some percentage of people who ultimately want to believe it for their own reasons, for their sharing of grievance with you, whatever the purpose is. It's, it's, it's an ancient psychological ploy. It's been done politically, and it's being done right before everybody's eyes. Fannie Willis watched this happening. And she said, there's obviously something very wrong here. This second perfect phone call by Donald Trump will not stand muster. And essentially, uh, there appears to have been a crime committed here. An attempt to tamper with the results of an election. Granted, I am the DA strictly here in Fulton County, but... This is the seat of government, and anything happening in the seat of government of the state of Georgia is in my purview. I have the right to have this investigated. Now, the way Georgia law sets up, Fannie Willis was convened what was called a special grand jury. Special in the sense that, unlike the federal grand jury system, where a single grand jury would be required to complete this process. In Georgia, you have two grand juries for something like this. The first one basically is going to be strictly uh, information assembling. And they also, in this particular case, had subpoena power. And when you have a state grand jury with subpoena power, there is the capacity to not only compel testimony, but to essentially find yourself, um, you, can, you can basically uh, jail people who wouldn't go. You could find people in contempt. And it's amazing the number of people who came and talked. Once you're before a grand jury, by the way, you, have, you, you don't have an attorney sitting with you in a grand jury. If you've ever been either served as a grand juror or been called before a grand jury, when you're answering your questions, you're there on your own and you have no right to not answer. You cannot assert, by and large, you cannot assert Fifth Amendment rights before a grand jury. That would be an obstruction. Again, there are variations in that rule. But by and large, you can't. And I gather that Giuliani, I think Mark Meadows, and I think a few others who were all peripheral to this phone call, the obvious culmination of the effort to defraud the state of Georgia and to defraud the voters and to undo the lawful results of that uh, vote, uh, they, they came and they testified. Donald Trump was not called and has not been there. But people talked. And the results of all of the information that was accumulated over the course of eight months by this special grand jury resulted in a report that was put out by the grand jury. The, the grand jury, the special grand jury in Georgia, Georgia does not vote 
to basically indict. Now, the standard is the same in the as in the federal. It would be by a predominance of evidence, not, by, not beyond a reasonable doubt. That would be the normal criminal, uh, the criminal rule uh, for, for, uh, for conviction or uh, in, in, in the actual trial. But for purposes of indictment, the, the commission of a crime is something that must be apparent beyond, uh, by preponderance of the evidence by preponderance of evidence, the, the civil standard of conviction. Of, well, the civil standard basically one way or the other, basically of, of, of a determination, of a, of a determination within a lawsuit. What does the preponderance of the evidence give us for or against the defendant? Do we have a preponderance of evidence? Is it a reasonable assumption that a crime may have been committed here? If it is, Yes, then an indictment should be uh, issued. But the special grand jury in Georgia doesn't have the right to do that. They issue a report, which has been reported, which has been handed over to Fannie Willis. She, in turn, now reviews that report, takes a second grand jury, and they, in turn, independently based on the, in, they don't have to re-interview the, the, the witnesses, but based on the information and the findings of that report, ultimately concur or don't concur with her in her final assessment, well, they would have to say, yes, there is a preponderance of the evidence. They have a second group that has to do that. And then Fannie Willis gets to make the final determination. Now, one more step beyond that, which is, which is interesting, this first grand jury in Georgia <clears throat> has, as part of, their, um, part of their report, asked that it be published. The grand juries can request, the, first, the special grand jury can request in Fulton County, Georgia, that their findings, that their report be published. I find all of this very, very bad news for Donald and his cohorts. Very, very bad news. Why would, why, first of all, why wouldn't, uh, why wouldn't Rudy and, 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 and Mark and, and the whole bunch of loonies, why wouldn't they just, you know, uh, stand up the grand jury much as they did? Or why, why, why wouldn't they just try throwing out a Fifth Amendment challenge? Why wouldn't they just try monkey wrenching the whole thing? Uh, in Georgia, I mean, they did this with the with the January 6th committee, largely. I mean, Meadows never really tested, well, he gave some stuff, some information over, but then later on, well, in any event, why wouldn't they just try to muck it all up? Simple. Because in the end, what happens at the state level cannot be simply pardoned by a Republican president. If you want to gamble, if you want to gamble that Joe, Biden, that, 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 that Joe Biden will be defeated by Donald or someone else on the Republican side, and that that person, whoever it is, certainly if it's Donald, he'll forgive himself, he'll forgive everybody, he'll, he can do that with, I mean, and, and people will be yelling and screaming, and, and he'll be, well, it was all a lie, it was a witch hunt. 
but he would be able to do that. He could do that on federal charges. He could, he could, if, if the Mar-a-Lago case would finally come up, and damn, by now it should have, people are getting damned impatient with, with the Justice Department here. Something's got to happen damn quick over here. Otherwise, the perception, and if not the practical reality, that maybe if this gets too close, and God forbid, if a Republican were to get in, it seems very unlikely. But you could find yourself with a new Justice Department that would chuck all of the federal investigations being done into, into Donald Trump right now. That would be inexcusable. That would be horrific. That would be a horrible situation. They better, get, they better get their asses out of it. You know, otherwise, their asses are in a sling now. They better get their feet on the ground and moving very fast. Speedy Gonzalez fast to get a federal indictment. That's an aside to all this, though. You cannot, no Republican president can forgive the, uh, the results of the, uh, of the Georgia grand jury, of, of the... Of the, of the uh, uh, of the conviction that would take down take place down there, could a Republican governor do so in the state of Georgia? Questionable. That 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 point hasn't come up. Would Brian Kemp be willing to do that? Answer resounding, screaming, no. Brian Kemp has come out and openly said the current the, the reelected. Uh, governor of Georgia has openly said that he wants to get the Republican Party past Donald Trump. It would be diametrically opposed to that concept to basically then say, but if, by the way, uh, the Fulton County DA basically uh, gets, a, uh, gets a conviction against him and Donald has to do time, etc., etc., uh, I'll be more than happy to uh, commute his sentence. No, probably not. Possible? Yes. One way or the other, if I were Donald Trump right now, I would be absolutely plotting. The, I would be a Republican in the true sense of the word right now. Because the very fact that the grand jury wants that report uh, published tells me that they've got some real, real nasty meat there. They know that there's no way that you're going to take that phone call and you want to publish the fact that you found out that, you know, really, when he said that he didn't be that he believed that he had won, well, you know, really, he did truly believe it. So there's absolutely no basis whatsoever <laughs> for finding him guilty of attempting to defraud the people of Georgia by basically messing with the election results. That he, he's allowed to basically pull the mob boss BS defense of, oh, no, 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 that never happened there. I, but I want you to do this and, uh, you know, be careful. Uh, this could be dangerous for you and your family there. I, we, we, the special grand jury of Fulton County in Georgia, we want, it, we want the world to know that we believe that the mafiosa Don uh, uh, defense basically is a valid one. No. No, it's exactly the opposite of that. He knows it. You know it. I know it. 
Fannie Willis knows it. She now has the report. Within two weeks, she must decide whether or not she is going to publish it. And in a very short space of time, she will be reconvening a second grand jury, which will then do the actual formal vote on the actual uh, indictment. Fannie Willis, again, has the last say on how this will work out. That second grand jury, from what I'm heard, could be, uh, could be in, in place for all of one day. The, the information in the report could be put out that quickly. My guess is she wouldn't want to put all the information out because that's going to give the defense a heads up. But at some point, this report will be made public. There will be another grand jury that will be impaneled. They will, in short order, authorize the indictment of Donald and others in this scheme to defraud the people of Georgia. And there will be an arrest, a trial, and in all, 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 all likelihood, a conviction. And there will be jail time because Fannie Willis has already said that there will be no difference in the treatment of any defendant for basically the commission of jailable crimes. And she'll probably go to the max on this one. And Donald has already insulted the hell out of her, has been attempting to, you know, uh, basically uh, embarrass and, and, and intimidate her. Uh, it's going in exactly the opposite direction. And I don't think a jury is going to feel particularly uh, sympathetic toward uh, the orange Jesus. The net-net is that Donald could be indicted within, within a month. But in a relatively short, certainly before any of the federal indictments would come down. Now, remember, in, in, in the federal indictments and in any federal convictions, and a, a Republican president could eventually vacate those convictions, could, could overthrow them. And it would be horrible and dumb and ugly and nasty, but it could happen. Uh, it, it, the last time we saw something like this happen was, of course, when Jerry Ford basically pardoned Richard Nixon in advance, and the president could do that, in advance, and simply said, uh, the American people have been through enough. Many people would argue that we had, but we never had the benefit of, at least Richard Nixon had the decency to know when to leave. He knew that basically his number was up. He basically, by leaving, said, I know that I can't fight this any longer. He never really admitted, I mean, there was the David Frost interview and he kind of admitted that he had done what he'd done and Frost basically had his eyes uh, rolling back in his head and glazing over and saying, how could you possibly say X when you did Y, et cetera, et cetera, with the tapes and all that other fine stuff. But in this situation, obviously, Trump is going to take this one to the mat. And when he gets down to the mat, then he basically is going to face prison time. I would personally, if I, if I were Merrick Garland and the DOJ, I'd feel pretty damn weird. I'd feel pretty diminished 
that given everything that they've had about the Mar-a-Lago case and everything else and the slam dunk nature of it, that we hadn't brought a indictment before the state of Georgia, certainly that we hadn't begun the trial, certainly that we hadn't convicted someone on a slam dunk case before Fulton County, Georgia, and Fannie Willis did. But Fannie Willis is on track right now to being the, down, the, the downfall of Donald Trump, the, the end of the games, the end of the crap. He'll yell and scream and everything else, but he'll be doing it in a jumpsuit, in an orange jumpsuit from a Fulton County jail or however they would handle this in the state of Georgia, yelling and screaming and threatening how much he'll be able to do that from prison? Probably not much. How much would the Republican Party, the Republicans basically in the Congress, want to help him and afford him every bit of help that they possibly can to, to get his voice out? Zero! It'll be the greatest relief that the Republican Party has had in many, many years. Could it be the beginning of a change in the Republican Party? It could be. It could be if they basically recognize that everybody, they and the base, have all now been denied Donald's dulcet tones, that he's been disgraced, that there's no way you can ever have this man back in the White House or in any position of power. If you, if you, if you collectively let that sink into everybody and act as though that is the decision. If you basically begin acting independent of Donald and that's seeing that more and more, well, then maybe you will be. Then you're going to have to deal with the loonies in your own party, but their motivation now is going to have to be uh, sort of bifurcated from Donald as well. Net-net, getting Donald off the stage and into a cell is going to be um, a major game changer uh, for American politics. Uh, I don't know that it's going to help Bolsonaro a whole hell of a lot, and I have a funny feeling he's going to be enjoying uh, the heat of midsummer or midwinter, however it were, down in Brazil very, very shortly. But Donald uh, is is in for uh, a real shock. And of course, he would he would also have to if if the federal government if if uh, if DOJ catches up with uh, with uh, Fulton County, Georgia, and begins bringing indictments and starting trials, Donald will of course be able to uh, leave uh, his cell in Georgia in order to uh, appear at the federal trials against him. Uh, it, it, it's going to be an interesting situation. I have a feeling that Fannie Willis is going to really, really a black female district attorney ha! in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, is going to change things around. I, I think the whole notion that a southern state, a solid south state like the state of Georgia, finds itself in this position to alter American politics, certainly alter the state of the Republican Party as much as it most likely is about to. It's, it's one of these things we simply have to, well, stay tuned. That's why they play the games. And that's why we, that's why we like to listen to a little jazz as well.
listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. What has just happened in Fulton County, Georgia, basically is the beginning of the end of the Trump story, if you will. There will be an indictment coming down. The second grand jury will be impaneled. The money is uh, the money is on Trump being indicted and ultimately convicted. The problem is for the Justice Department and the embarrassment of not having gotten there first. 